0: better get ready yeah! Yeah! because under the dome with cd starts right now let's do it i'm ready let's do it
1: and welcome everyone good morning to you beautiful people it is a tremendous saturday morning the pels they're still in the playoffs they won't be getting ousted for nothing. That's always a good thing, right? As you go back to when the, the handful of times the Pelicans have been in the playoffs the last few years, it's either they sweep a team or they get swept. Being able to have a chance to play five against a really good Phoenix Suns team, we'll talk about that in a moment. The USFL, it's still a thing for right now. The LSU football, they're gearing up for the spring game. Cajuns baseball, LSU baseball, they got nice dubs in heroic fashion, and of course, I'm here with you on a Louisiana Saturday morning. It is just a stupendous kind of Saturday morning here inside the 103.7 The Game Studios. Hopefully, you're enjoying yourself, and hopefully, you're listening in. If you are, I appreciate you, however you're doing so. If it's through the FM dial, the Tower of Power that's too sweet to be sour, on 103.7 103.7 FM, out in Lafayette, 1041 out in Lake Charles. Or you're out there listening on the free mobile app, the .com, Amazon, Alexa. So many ways to check us out. Make sure you get it in your lives as soon as you possibly can. Because we got an hour and a half. We're leading you up to LSU baseball, the series finale against the Mizzou Tigers. It's Tigers versus Tigers. I think the purple and gold looking to get the sweep Rooney, And it's definitely a big show here today. In the 11 o'clock hour, we're going to do our mock draft breakdown. All 32 picks in the first round. I'm going to give you my personal take, my personal opinion on how this entire thing is going to go down this coming Thursday. Because I am absolutely so excited. The NFL draft is right around the corner. The Kentucky Derby right around the corner festival international we'll talk about that a little bit later but festival international right around the corner it's starting to get a lot closer to one of my favorite times of year and that is a little more of the summertime the dog days of summer that ain't no such thing here on southwest louisiana sports station and without any further ado no further preamble or ramble i got a question and maybe you could answer it. If you want to call in, 337-706-0111. But I've got my own answer to that question. And it's the question that's causing all this on a Louisiana Saturday morning. And it is your Saturday Sports Sermon.
0: The famous CB is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. Who testify? It's time for your Saturday Sports Sermon.
1: And the question I have to ask you out there in listener land, if you want to call in, let me know. 337-706-0111. And it's about those New Orleans Pelicans. They just lost a game. And mind you, they have looked good over the last few nights in the postseason. They looked great last weekend in, those, in that play-in tournament. They played like their lives depended on it. Like if they lost, Willie Green was going to get his ass fired. Willie Green has proven himself to be a damn good coach and a damn good motivator. So more power to him. Shout out to Willie Green. But the question I have, and it's a question I had the other night, whenever you started hearing about Devin Booker, he's out for two to three weeks. So it makes me wonder, are the Pelicans poised to play? Spoiler. Based off of last night, they have every chance to do so. The only thing that's holding them back is two things. One, I hate to sound like a coach, but the only thing holding them back is themselves to a certain extent. And that's the first thing. They have to focus in on trying to make sure they get the most out of the guys they have on the floor. Last night, you had a lot of guys perform pretty doggone well. Brandon Ingram had to be God mode. CJ McCollum had to be on God mode. Especially after Jackson Hayes gets tossed. Losing Jackson Hayes hurt, mind you. Grand Theft Alvarado, he did what he needed to do. He, Everybody's doing their job, but you need to have more than just Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum playing NBA Jam Tournament Edition and putting up gobs of points. That's not how you're going to get the job done if you're the New Orleans Pelicans. Against a Phoenix Suns team, That is getting some power from one Chris Paul. We talk about God mode. Chris Paul is very much like Roman reigns, God mode. You got to acknowledge what he's been able to do for this Suns franchise. He is wanting to solidify his legacy because you look at what he's done in his career, he is missing one thing. And it's one thing, a lot of teams, a lot of players that are big names in this modern era are missing. And I think we can all fill in that blank. It's something he missed out on last year, losing to the Milwaukee Bucks. The Suns absolutely positively want him to hoist the Larry O'Brien trophy when it's all said and done. I think we can all agree. That's the one thing missing from Chris Paul's legacy to make him a bona fide Hall of Famer first ballot. Now, is that the only thing that's holding him back from being, again, that first ballot Hall of Famer? I'm not necessarily sure. But I feel like what I saw from Chris Paul last night proved to me that sometimes another guy wants it that much more. Another guy wants that much more brought to the table. I was impressed what I saw from him last night. I was impressed as well from the way this Pelicans team fought back. They fought back, and they were down a lot. And if not for, you know, Chris Paul doing Chris Paul things in the fourth quarter I think this would have been a whole different ball game the series would have changed the momentum would have shifted seriously go look at the box score from the game last night Chris Paul 19 19 of his 28 points came in the fourth quarter if that's not turning it on at the right time I don't know what is 10 points, 3 boards, 2 assists. That is pretty doggone good, and that is damn near, I hate to use the word again, you're going to hear me say it a lot, but that is greatness on a different level. God mode enabled in that fourth quarter last night, 4-1 CP3. Meanwhile, the Pelicans, they had their own, and Brandon Ingram getting 11 of his 30 points last night in the fourth quarter. It's great to see what he did, but you got to have a little bit more. If Hayes hadn't gotten tossed due to a fairly – and also he had a very questionable offensive foul on Ingram in the final like four minutes of that ball game, I thought that was a highly dubious call. And that's not because I'm a fan of the Pelicans in any way, shape, or form. I just think that that was a little suspect, if you will. But all of that is to say, going back to the main question, and again, I'll ask you this three three seven seven zero six zero one one one: 706 0111. Are the Pelicans, with everything going on, with everything playing kind of into their favor, poised to play the spoiler and pull off and upset the likes that we haven't seen since 123 Kid beat Reza Ramon on an episode of WWF Raw back in 1993? How about that little. Little name drop right there, little Reza Ramon. Rest in peace to the big guy, to the bad guy, Scott Hall. So, do the Pelicans have a chance to play spoiler? Are they poised to do that? I think the answer is no, because this Pelicans team—it's not—it's not missing an X factor. Because I think C.J. McCollum was without, without a doubt one of the best trades this team has made in recent history. I think outside of maybe the Drew Holiday trade, this may be one of the most important trades they've made because C.J. McCollum has made an immediate impact for this franchise. Immediately. He made—he was an impact player right from the jump, and you pair him up with somebody like Brandon Ingram, B.I., he's looked great. Herb Jones, he's still a young player, and he's done pretty doggone well for himself. But I think there needs to be some improvement from some of these guys if they want to be able to get to that next plateau, that next level. It's a lot like what I saw with the Pelicans back in that 2014-15 season when they got swept by the Warriors. They're good, but they're just not good enough to kind of crack that proverbial glass ceiling and make a run. There's just always something missing. If Zion were there, I think I'd give him a little bit of a better chance, but I'd probably say the odds are still in the favor of the Suns so because I think CP three is starting to unlock his full potential here. He's starting to really come unglued in this series. And I think he was definitely vibing off of the fans at smoothie King last night who were practically booing him out of the stadium. Like he was the fabulous free birds in the Superdome in the eighties. That man was wanting to silence the haters and get it done. He was impressive as all get out last night. He's been impressive the last three games because game one, he went off in a big way. Game two, he was kept somewhat in check, but I think the fact that you have this Pelicans team realized, that's the key word. This Pelicans team realized throughout the series, it's been very competitive, probably way more competitive than the pelicans thought it was and the suns definitely a lot of the major national media thought it was going to be they probably thought this was going to be a four nothing sweep it was going to be a complete ass whooping this wasn't the case yes game one was a 110 110.99 99 loss but it was a lot closer than that score leads you to believe 114 111 game three it's a close ball game and at one point it looked like it was going to be another mud hole stomping walking it dry Still a little upset about that 119 that 110.99 loss, but I'll talk about that more at the end of hour number one. 125-114 win over the, the Suns in game two before you head over to the Smoothie King Center. That shows me that this team can win when needed. Can win these big games. They just. It's that thing where. don't know if you can until you do these last two games prove to me that this pelicans team can but the real and important question is will they i don't necessarily think so i think there's a team in the nba playoffs that's going to kind of chop down this team i don't think we see an eight upset a one here in this and it's more because of the way that team you're facing off against has been dialed in as of late. That's just how I see it. Chris Paul, Bridges has looked good. DeAndre Ayton has looked fantastic. He had 28 last night. Jay Crowder, he's getting it done in his own way. There's some guys on that Suns roster that are doing a damn good job. JaVale McGee's another one. You have to keep these guys in check. And if you're just focusing in on Chris Paul, they're going to burn you one way or another. You know, Mikael Bridges is due for a big game. You know those guys are going to be ready to go off. You need to have guys like Herb, like Jose Alvarado, Grand Theft Alvarado, getting it done. Jackson Hayes. It's going to take the village of this Pelicans team to pull off the monumental upset of all monumental upsets. That's kind of where... I lie. What's your thoughts? Give me a call. 337-706-0111. 337-706-0111. We'll leave some time open for that, but also I want to get in some thoughts about the USFL, what they've done right, and what they've done wrong so far. Ross Jackson will be joining the program as well in about 14 minutes. Going to talk about the NFL draft, and I've got my mock draft in hour number two. Plenty to get to in this next hour and a half. Keep it locked right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. We are Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. It's the world famous CD here with you. As per the use, appreciate you listening in. And I gotta say, we're just about seven days. Well, technically, we're like I'd say five days from the official start because it starts on Thursday night. But usually, Saturday is the night where I. Saturday is usually the day I go and enjoy myself full blown at Festival International. But if you want to go all out and have yourself a whole bunch of fun, make sure you listen in because, spoilers, Festival International has officially sold out of the Lanyard Passes for 2022. But lucky for you, you can still score one thanks to us here at the game, 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. And that Lanyard Pass gives you access to air-conditioned restrooms, express beverage lines so you don't have to sweat in the hot, hot sun for restrooms or wait to get your drinks. Trust me, you're not going to want to miss out on an opportunity for express beverage lines and air-conditioned restrooms, especially considering probably how hot it's going to be in a week's time from right now. So get in on that right now and win a pair of lawn yacht passes, just text three letters. It's just as simple. If you're driving, just hand it over to your passenger or better yet, just make a mental note of this. Whenever you stop off at wherever you're going, text F I L to 68683. That's F I L to 68683. It's a Festival International winning weekend here from the game 1037 Lafayette and one Lake Charles. We are Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Gonna have Ross Jackson come aboard in about eight or nine minutes. But in the meantime, in the between time, if you wanna get in on the conversation, 337 706 0111. Fingers crossed the phones work this week. You never know how this thing's going to go. And trust me, we got a lot to get to over the course of this next hour. And hopefully we get some more conversation going on the New Orleans Pelicans. But we're going to get in some mock draft talk in the start of hour two. I want to continue more of the NFL or the football conversation because, yes, it's. It's spring, and I understand there's a lot more important things going on in the world than spring football. But if you've listened to this show since it launched in 2019 or even before, and if you've listened to me or read stuff online of me posting on social media, you know I am a huge fan, a huge proponent of spring football. I love it. Going back to the AAF, Hell, even the original, the OG of it all, the XFL in the modern era. Because when the USFL USFL, USFL was going on, I was not even born. I was born in 89, Jack. So any knowledge of the USFL is largely just by proxy and research. But this rebooted version of the USFL, it's one week in, and it shows, at least somewhat, there's a lot of hunger for it. 3 million viewers of opening weekend action during the Easter holiday. It's a pretty solid barometer in terms of attendance. Eh, but again, it's Easter weekend. I can completely understand why I didn't see a whole lot of people there on opening sun on the Sunday. The opening game with Birmingham, that place was filled to the damn brim over in Alabama. And by the way, that's where all the games are for the USFL for those who didn't know. And I know there's people going to be calling in, tweeting in, texting in, whatever. But, Clint, it's always like this. Every single year, we see a spring football league have a big debut. It's it's big. It's grandiose. And then nobody talks about it again. I get that. I understand where you're coming from. Is that first week, that intrigue, then you realize it kind is amateurish. In fact, I got a lot of that response the other day after I watched some of that Sunday action, watching the New Orleans breakers. I thought they looked pretty doggone good. And it's a, again, it's not the best team in the world, but it's a good, it's a hell of a start. And that's all you got to ask for. And, you know, I got some responses from good friends and uh, a guy Brody out on Twitter said ugly football at times, but it was a good game overall. Somebody said they actually watched it. It was good minor league football. Again, we're not expecting this to be NFL. I think that's the first thing a lot of people just kind of got to get out of their minds if they're going to watch and, more importantly, enjoy spring football, is it's not the NFL. It's the NFL's table scraps, if even that, especially with this version. Because I think the XFL, at least somewhat, had, like, Decent-sized names to where it felt like it was a bigger deal. If not for COVID, the XFL would have probably continued onward. But again, that's the way things go. Good luck, God bless the Rock in 2023. But I like what I saw from the overall, just the speed of the play, the pace of play. It was a very solid and fluid game. It didn't feel like, at times where you're waiting 20 minutes for a challenge. You didn't have that kind of stuff. The fact you don't have to worry about moving the chains. You've got the little RFID. I think that's what they have inside the ball. That's something the NFL should have instituted probably about four or five years ago, for being honest, because that's going to save so much time. The fact that they actually start the play clock right after the extra point leading into the kickoff. That's an interesting thing. I never really thought I'd see, but I like it because it speeds up the pace of play. And sometimes that's what's missing in the in the, in the league. It, that's what's missing because sometimes football games can last like four hours. And I, as a person who watches a lot of stuff that lasts about three hours, three hours is usually kind of the limit. I'm usually trying to figure something else out to watch once it gets a four-hour mark. A three-hour show, like again, I'm a wrestling fan. Three hours is about as much as I'm willing to take if I'm watching it on TV. Now, last weekend I was in Dallas and had four hours of wrestling and I wanted four more, but that's a different conversation for a different show like the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, which you can check out however you do so through your favorite podcast gimmicks. Just search the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, but that's another thing that I do. But the one thing I didn't like about the USFL, because there was some stuff I liked about it, I wasn't necessarily a huge fan of the jerseys. The unis felt like knockoff colleges, especially when I was watching the first game. It was very much like reminded me of like, it's almost like how they'd have those NCAA football games, but they're unlicensed to where we're going to have the similar colors, but we're not going to name names. We're not going to put any players on there. We're just going to say, hey, here's the colors, and you just take a guess which team this is. It felt very weirdly designed. But that's a different conversation. So whenever it came to this game and the broadcasting perspective, I'll go ahead and say it. I'm sure a lot of people are the same way. Please, for the love of God, get rid of the drones. It was a cool idea, but damn it if it doesn't give me motion sickness. Like, I I don't have motion sickness, but I feel... Almost ill when that thing starts moving around and bobbing and weaving. Like, like, come on, man. Just give me the spider can. It, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I don't understand why that was the one thing the USFL decided to do way different. Now, with the point after, it's fine. But kickoffs, that thing can go to hell. Like, I cannot stand seeing the kickoff and it goes all the way up and then it just floats around. I'm like, and it just moves like this. I'm like, come on, man. That's not something I want to see. It's making me dizzy. I, I can't stand seeing something like that. It was it was a little bit frustrating to see that. But outside of that, really good game. I like some of the broadcast elements. You know, Yes, I had to deal with Jason Garrett doing commentary, but again, I can mute that. Still a very solid broadcast. Felt uh, like things were taken a lot more seriously than, let's say, the AAF or the XFL add the fact that you have two big poles with the USFL where you got Fox and you've got NBC in on the action. That's a huge coup for a very young reboot because the XFL, like they had the NBC deal, but they were eventually kind of moved over to UPN, all this stuff, blah, 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 blah. blah. And they were kind of left on the, on the job squad time. They're actually given more of a, not quite prime time slot because obviously prime time on a Sunday is a little bit different than it is during like a typical weekday in terms of how TV works. Because I think honestly a prime time is like that two o'clock, 12, 12 to six o'clock time slot on a Sunday. That is like the perfect time for some football. I think we all know that because that's how we have been wired for years. And I think that's what's going to be the way going forward. Now, Can it be sustainable beyond season one? That's anybody's guess. I'm hoping it is. Because if not, I'm not going to be a happy camper. As somebody who loves spring football, I would love to see some competition with it because, honestly, the fan-controlled football league ain't doing anything for me. The XFL, that's going to do something for me. That's going to do something for the future of spring football. So hopefully we get to see two leagues rather than just one fail and then the other one tries to Revive itself for a second time, but enough about that. It's under the dome with CD. We got to take a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll talk with Ross Jackson, locked on Saints podcast, and part of Saints Wire USA. Today, we're going to be talking to him about those who that who that who that say they're going to beat them Saints. Who that say they're going to draft with those two picks in the first round? We'll talk to him about that and more. Right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles.
0: The world famous CD may be in his 30s, but he's still a kid at heart. <laughs> now, let's get back to a guy that has an unhealthy obsession with a number that offensive linemen wear. With under the dome, with the world famous CD on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest, Southwest Louisiana's, Louisiana's sports, sports station. station.
1: Welcome. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the game. 1037 Laugh Yet and 1041 out in Lake Charles. And who doesn't love some good seafood? More importantly, some great crawfish, some shrimp po boys. Want to go to Richard's Seafood Patio, and we want to hook you up with a $50 gift certificate. So when you go there, you're covered to have some fantastic. Food, including some of the best boiled crawfish you've ever had. They also got some great boiled shrimp, crabs, fried and grilled seafood, burgers, steaks, po' boys. As somebody who's trying to start to lose a little bit of weight, me doing this live read, making me a little bit hungry, got me having the all V for some seafood. And if you got the en V for some seafood as well, make sure you go to Richard's Seafood Patio and enter in today in the clubhouse at 1037thegame.com to enter in for a chance to win a $50 gift certificate to have some of those fantastic foods again. I am just, like, I'm salivating. Just the mere mention of some po'boys, some steaks, some boiled crabs, some boiled shrimp. Oh boy. Again, I need to stop talking about it because I'm going to start getting hungrier. But I just saw this pop up on my social media feed. We'll get Ross Jackson on in a moment. But fans of gold jerseys for LSU, it's back today. First pitch at noon, you'll hear it right here on the game. After I sign off pregame at 1130, Chris Blair and crew will take you to the game over at Alec Box. But now we got to flip it over. He's a good friend of the program. He is the host of the Locked On Saints podcast, a contributor for the Saints Wire, part of the USA Today Network. And I think just overall, one of the busiest men in the business. He is Ross Jackson. Ross, how you been, brother?
2: Hey brother, doing well, man. Doing well. I thought for a second that live read you're about to go, uh, to go straight Bubba Gump on me for a second. Oh, shrimp! You know, boiled shrimp, fried shrimp, grilled shrimp, shrimp po' boy, shrimp and <laughs>
1: potatoes. I, I, don't get me started, man. I, I could. I, it, it's been a while since I watched Forrest Gump. I think I could still quote that word for word. To be honest with you. And again, again, I'm trying to lose some weight, Ross. So but I'm, I'm trying. The, the last thing I want to do is start talking about food
2: we're we're hey glad to be on with you man glad to be back with you hope you've been well
1: I've been well man been well so before we get into the NFL draft talk I would say to address the elephant in the room but I think we need to kind of adjust the terminology for this and address the tiger in the room that's former LSU tiger and current free agent Jarvis Landry what's the latest on him and what kind of percentage would you put on him signing on and putting on the black and gold
2: Yeah, look, um, so the latest on him at this point, at least, is that, you know, he had that visit with the New Orleans Saints here very recently, just last week. And, you know, there's a lot of optimism. There's a lot of hope that the Saints might be able to be a team that's able to lure him in. And it sounds like it's really going to be down to two teams. So, you know, I I don't mean this to sound like a cop-out or anything like that, but it sounds like the decision is effectively 50-50, right? There's a 50-50 chance that he lands with the Saints there's a chance that he lands, goes back to the Cleveland Browns, the Cleveland Browns are interested in bringing him back as well with their whole new direction that they're uh, that they're headed in. So for the Saints, you know, the, the appeal I think that comes with New Orleans is that, you know, he, he's able to land in, in New Orleans and have a very clear role. I mean, he gets to be... The guy opposite Michael Thomas, effectively, if the Saints were to land him, even if the Saints were to land uh, a, a, you know, a free agent, or excuse me, not a free agent, a, um, a drafted wide receiver, in addition, he still has a very clear role in that situation, which I think would be something that would be, very, um, that would be very appealing to him. Gets him back to Louisiana, of course. And puts him in a situation to where he is immediately contributing to what it is that the New Orleans Saints are trying to do and what direction Jameis Winston is headed in, which is instead of playing long to short, play short to long, and he becomes a really, really important piece in that situation.
1: And I'd agree with you wholeheartedly. And, you know, whenever you think about Jarvis Landry, and the other question I have is regarding him, when's the likelihood of, of when we could hear of him signing, being with the Saints or any other of the 31 NFL teams? You know, are the Saints even yeah, considering been... like going, getting him? Maybe a lot like the Jameis Winston signing from a couple years ago, where you signed him like on the Sunday after the draft.
2: Right, right, and, and that's what seems most likely to me. The thing about it is that um, Jarvis Landry was effectively released by the Cleveland Browns, so he doesn't factor into the compensatory formula. He wouldn't be a compensatory free agent in that case. So really, he, he could sign at no cost to the New Orleans Saints in terms of the compensatory formula which could or could not yield them a pick going into next season, uh, next season's draft. And so it, it, that part of the equation, which was kind of a factor a little bit in the Jameis Winston signing, for instance, doesn't really exist when it comes to Jarvis Landry. But the thing that helps Jarvis is that if he waits until after the draft, he knows that wherever he's signing, his role isn't going to get filled by a rookie right after he signs, because let's face it, we're into April, right? The end of April, we're almost the NFL draft this week. And so the contract that Jarvis Landry would end up signing is unlikely to be a substantial contract, a 10 to $15 million per year contract, which might be what he's been holding out for. That just seems likely at this point, It Seems like, it'll be more like a five, to $7 million type of a deal for a year or so. And so with that, there's the chance that he signs with the team before the draft. The team goes out, the team that signs him goes out and drafts a you know, young stud at wide receiver that ends up taking the role that he you know, thought he was signing for. And so if you wait until after the draft, he can more sort of comfortably sign with the team and see what the role is. Again, I think even if the Saints do invest at wide receiver in the draft, Jarvis Landry has a very clear role as a slot receiver, basically, that allows you to work, again, short to long. So I think that he still has that role. But it does give him an opportunity to just kind of clarify that before he puts it in to paper.
1: And I agree with the old Harley there. He is a guy that I think could be a big impact player regardless of how what you do with the rest of your NFL draft. Even if you do get that – like you said, like even if you do go ahead and get a wide receiver in the first round or wherever you kind of land on a guy you like, this is an opportunity right. for you to go ahead and really – bolster your wide receiver core because outside of michael thomas and presuming he's going to be healthy for the entire 18 game slate of the season are you guaranteed to have him ready to go are you guaranteed to have somebody outside of that give you depth because that was something that hurt the saints a lot last year
2: yeah yeah absolutely i mean you look at some of the other you know young wide receivers that the saints also have if they're not relying on uh, michael thomas right Deontay hardy is a, a great wide receiver that you know, has continued to grow in the New Orleans Saints offense, but he's dealt with injuries over the course of the past couple of years as well and also plays an entirely different roles in the role that you would see our Jarvis Landry in, who would play a lot more of these kind of like less short area quickness burst out of the backfield, you know, move them around kind of roles. That Deontay Hardy would play, Jarvis Landry would play a little bit more of a you know really solid possession receiver that's going to run the efficient routes and that's going to you know work in that sort of short and intermediate area for you in the middle of the field make contested catches. I mean the guy's got a career contested catch rate. I think it's over fifty-two percent, which is really really good for somebody that's been in the NFL for eight years, right? And he had a sixty-six percent contested catch rate just last year as well, including getting most of his yardage, almost six yards after the catch, per catch, as well, throughout all that. So he just plays a bit of a different role than any of these other guys that the Saints currently have in the wide receiver room. And as you mentioned, depth, there's no room to be picky right now, right? I mean, you saw what happened with the wide receiver room last year. You, you know, brought in somebody in, in Matt Rea that's going to be you know, your sort of director of sports science that helped to reduce soft, inju- soft tissue injuries by 50% while he was in Alabama, which is absolutely phenomenal. But it might take time for that kind of stuff to really take effect. So, building the depth in that receiver room, building the depth in any room for the New Orleans Saints is still something that's imperative, right? This is a team that set the NFL record last year with 58 individual unique starters in 2021. You don't want a repeat of that in 2022. So, go get you somebody that's durable. Go get you somebody that fills the role, that fills the need, and that gives you that extra body and extra veteran presence, which right now things don't have, especially in that wide receiver room.
1: Talk right now, Ross Jackson, host of the Locked On Saints podcast. And contributes for Saints Wire, part of the USA Today Network. And I'm just going to come right out out the gates and just ask this question. No more preamble. Talk about Jarvis Landry. Are the Saints even remotely considering drafting a quarterback in the first round? Because I've been hearing it a lot, and I'm sure you have as well. I'm kind of getting tired of that talk. Do you think there's a legit chance that the Saints sign a quarter, a draft a quarterback in the first round?
2: Yeah. Look, I think that it's possible. I don't know what I. Here's what I don't necessarily think the Saints are looking to do. I don't think that the Saints are looking to package sixteen and nineteen, which they just did a lot of work to grab in the first round, to move up into the top five or top ten in order to grab that that quarterback. I think that if there's a quarterback at sixteen that sits there and he's the best player available on the board for the Saints, then sure. If there's a player, you know, if there's a quarterback that's there at nineteen or forty nine that's the best player available on the board, then sure. But I don't know that you necessarily need to make a move for a quarterback right now. If the intent, and I think that this is evident in the trade that the thing's pulled off with the Philadelphia Eagles, if if the intent is to compete this year, then it makes the most sense to me that you want to maximize the amount of young starters and rookie contracts that you can bring in that can start and have an impact for you immediately and that will allow you to compete. You gave up last year's first-round pick, which is an indicator that you expected that first-round pick to be toward the back half of the first round, right? So if you want to compete, and especially in an NFC conference, that's really, really weak and could potentially get even weaker if Debo Samuel gets traded out of the conference, for instance. You have an opportunity here to be able to bolster your roster, bolster the young talent around a young quarterback that's ready to let it loose going into 2022, that's walking into in Jameis Winston, that's walking into an offseason actually knowing that he's the quarterback as opposed to being in a quarterback battle this time around. Build the offense around those players and give yourself the dynamicism that you need to be able to be a a competitive team on the offensive side. They've done some great things on defense so far this offseason, returning some very important players, signing some very important new players. They have a couple of spaces that they could fill over there. But outside of that, you know, looking for pass catchers, looking for, you know, a, a pass protector over on the left side perhaps. Those should be, I think, the priority, depending upon how the board falls, which, of course, if the board falls, you know, in a way that's not necessarily conducive to that, then you can only do you can only select what you have on the board there, but I think that the plan should be to try to maximize particularly those top 350 picks. All right,
1: we're talking about those top three top 50 picks. I think that brings me to my next question. What are the three biggest needs for the Saints as we head into next Thursday and Friday? That's the most important two days of this Saints franchise I think in the in the short term and the long term because you need to be able to hit on these three picks because you don't have many of them this year, and you also sacrificed a good bit to kind of move up and make that big trade with the Eagles a couple weeks ago. And that's kind of where I'm at. Like, What are the three biggest needs that you see for this team heading into the draft?
2: Yeah, for me, it's offensive tackle, wide receiver, and safety. I I think those are the three biggest needs for me. Uh, I could argue for interior defensive line, like defensive tackle, to be that third one, along with safety, but uh, but knowing just how important the safety position is in Dennis Allen's defense, I think losing both Marcus Williams and having you know Malcolm Jenkins retire this offseason, those are two big blows for this New Orleans Saints defense. And they went out and they signed Marcus May, who I think is is going to be great, and I think is you know a player that I've looked at as a potential replacement for Marcus Williams. Since last year, before they franchise tagged Marcus Williams, I thought Marcus May would be a good option. He can play the deep safety role, but in Robert Sala's defense last year, he also played the box safety role. So he's got some versatility in that way. So I think that frees you up to be able to invest in any kind of safety, a Jaquan Brisker that could, or a Dax Hill that could do a little bit of everything, or you can specifically look for, you know, a ball hawk like a Kirby Joseph out of Illinois. So you can kind of have a little bit more of a, uh, flexibility there. Wide receiver, I think, is obvious. Offensive tackle, particularly over on the left side, is one that is kind of more so for the future. The Saints could go into 2022 with James Hurst at left tackle and be perfectly fine. Or even James Hurst at right tackle and Ryan Ramchick at left tackle and be perfectly fine. But what do you do beyond that? What do you do for the years to come? And if you have an opportunity to be in position, even if you're looking at trading up one of those selections, 16 or 19, to be able to land your favorite offensive tackle, I think that that's a big need for them to fill, not just for now, but for the future.
1: All right, one more before I let you go. Ross, who do you think the Saints are going to pick with those first two first first rounds?
2: So I am of the school of thought that the Saints will be looking for an offensive tackle and wide receiver in the first round. And so for me, my sort of dream pairing would be Charles Cross of Mississippi State, which could be at 16 potentially because he could be a guy that drops a little bit as NFL teams look at him. You know, pass protecting over 80% of the time in a Mike Leach offense, which is something that tends to deter teams uh, on tackles that are coming from air raid offenses. But they could also move up to get them, right? They could trade, you know, 12 and 98 to get up a little, excuse me, 16 and 98 to get up a little bit higher, maybe trade with the Vikings at 12, who are a common trade partner for the Saints in the draft. So for me, Charles Cross uh, with the, whatever the first selection is, and then coming back to wide receiver, Dreamland, it would be, you know, Chris Olave. But Jamison Williams may fall, and that would be another great reason for the Saints to go out and grab a guy like Jarvis Landry. If they draft Jamison Williams, it gives you time as he recovers from that late ACL injury to not rush him out onto the field, let him come back on his own time, and still have added some weapons on the offensive side.
1: Ross, appreciate you coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, brother.
2: Absolutely, brother. Right back at you. Take care, stay safe, and I'll talk to you
1: soon. Oh, we definitely will, Ross. We definitely will appreciate him coming on the program as per the usual. Always just great conversation with that guy right there. We'll take a quick timeout, come back. I got some picks to click for this weekend. I also got a bone to pick about a brutal beat I had on Sunday with the Pelican Suns game one. We'll be back after this right here on the game 1037 7 Lafayette and 104 1 Lake Charles.
0: The world-famous CD always has his eyes on the lines out in Las Vegas. Hit me. 20. Hit me.
2: 21. Hit me. 22.
0: Here's his five favorite bets for the weekend. Will he make you rich beyond your wildest dreams? Or will you be cursing him out after he goes 0 for 5? Let's find out on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station.
1: Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD. A couple minutes here before we wrap up our number one, go on to our two and my mock draft over that final half hour of the show. Here's my five faith picks to click for this weekend, and trust me, you'll be paid handsomely if this all pays off. Utah Jazz money line minus 235 against the Dallas Mavericks later today at 330. 310, the Astros take on the Blue Jays. Give me the Astros money line plus 105, Jose Urquidy, on the bump, I like their odds. The Minnesota Twins, a minus 125 against the Chicago White Sox. Give me the Tins, Getting a dub to make them the Twins again. The Birmingham Stallions, a minus 150 against the Houston Gamblers. I got to take the team that is current, that looked damn good in the first game of the season. That in its home field advantage. The Philadelphia 76ers, I've got them winning tonight. Or this afternoon, I should say at 1 o'clock against the Toronto Raptors. They're minus 150 altogether. A $5 parlay nets you a cool $73.05. Let's go. But I also want to bring up something that happened the other day too. So I put down a four-leg parlay on the Phoenix Suns Pelicans game one. I'm going to run you through this real quick in case you didn't see my complaints on Twitter about this. So I had a simple four-leg parlay, made it easy. New Orleans Pelicans, plus 10 and a half. It felt like it was too easy to pass up. The way the team had played in the playing games, I felt like they had a good chance to do that. Turns out I was a little bit more right about that. So you have under 224 and a half. That hits 21 and a half over under on C.J. McCollum points. And then we have over 13 and a half for Chris Paul. And he shattered. I mean shattered that, by the way. Three of those hit. The last one did not hit because of what the Pelicans did on those last two possessions. You want to talk about red ass? That's red ass over a bad beat. $4. It would have netted me a pretty decent payday as well at plus $800. Trust me. Was not too happy about that. I missed out on another one, but that one I just I whiffed horribly on. But that's a different conversation for a different day. Hour two. Coming up next, right here on the Game 103.7 Laugh Yet and 104.1 Lake Charles. More under the dome after this.